let us start our meditation on equanimity. Try to find out in areas in your meditation where actually you are going off balance. Even when the bell rings, do you like it? Do you hate it? Well, you don't know. Actually, all the time when there's something going on, there's always an emotion background. Sometimes you hear this noise, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Then, do you hate it? Or do you like it? Or are you ignoring? <laughs> so, uh, this is very important to watch something going on every time you meditate with a breath. Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? So, uh, in order to sidestep really this off balance, is really to stay with the pleasant. If something is pleasant, stay with the pleasant feeling. If it's unpleasant, stay with the unpleasant. If it's neutral, stay with the neutral feelings. But as soon as you have a pleasant feeling, ah, I like it, I want to have more. Even a meditation state, if you want to, oh, I, I like it, then you hold on to it, then you get disappointed. So the key is just to become aware of pleasant, 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 and stay there. If some attachment to that pleasant arises, so the practice is to be aware of that attachment. And then keep on being aware of attachment, attachment, attachment. And then once it subsides, you come to the breath or to the pleasant feeling. So this is actually the invitation for you to practice equanimity. Because every time we have the present feeling, we really grab it, then we go balanced. There's that agitation actually to really try to catch the next pleasant, pleasant moment. Then we like it, then we go balanced. And then when something we don't like it, we push it away. I don't like this. We push it away and then there's that resistance. Then we suffer. Then also ignoring is very subtle but also that's a reaction itself when we ignore we don't understand so this is an invitation in your meditation so we are going to spend of course the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes trying to accept things as they really are really remembering that whatever arising is what it is my job is to be aware is to understand and try to investigate in a way how you see things changing because when, in fact in order to practice equanimity you have to really practice it impermanence. It's called insight into the impermanence nature of things. If you can see things rising and passing away, then actually we, we are with the flow. Before we really actually with the flow, we are not there. So this is my invitation for this next meditation. Try to sit comfortably, feel at ease. Come to the body. You start with the, uh, really feeling your body comfortable. Take a deep, slow breath. In all kinds of meditation, you have to relax the body and re relax the mind. Then you can reflect along this line, may I accept my life as it is? Most of the people live their life in self-denial. They don't accept life as it is. So if you can remember this phrase, may I accept my life as it is.
This is a form of wise acceptance. It's not a passivity. It's not passivity. It's really actually having some understanding that there are parts of your life that you need to accept, like aging, death, sickness, pain. But also there are parts of your life that you can change, like greed, hatred, confusion, fear. See if you can have courage to really change and transform. Instead of deforming, you can transform your life. And see if you can have some wise discernment to know things that you really can change and things that you can't change. Again, the invitation is to reflect on the phrases I'm the owner of my karma. I am the owner of my karma. can extend it to others, your friends, benefactors, relatives, spouses, included together, not single and out. just mentally and softly reflecting that you are the owner of your karma. Happiness and unhappiness depends on your karma. Not my wishes. You can do it for a neutral person whom you don't know so well. a difficult person you are the owner of your karma happiness and and happiness depends on your karma not my wishes and then to all beings all beings are owner of their karma happiness and unhappiness depends on their karma and not my wishes. After that, when you feel comfortable that you really embrace all beings, excluding none, then you can shift to the breath. Observing the breath with that spaciousness, that awareness, and whatever comes, allow it that space. Allow everything to dissolve and appear 
in that speciousness. Without pushing away your experience, without indulging in your experience, without ignoring it, but being connected with that experience and seeing it changing and holding it together. See if you can sustain your attention from the beginning of the breath, in-breath to the end of it. Beginning of out-breath to the end of it. Or the rise and the fall of abdomen. Wherever you observe the breath, without making it longer, shorter, but just observe the breath as it is, as it presents, as it presents itself. Just sit for a moment or two. I, I give some clarification here. Just sit for a moment or two before we go to the restroom. And just a moment or two. So, basically, when we do standing meditation or sitting meditation or even walking meditation, one powerful practice is called the practice on four elements. The four elements. It's very, very powerful. The elements are earth element, water element, fire element, and uh, earth element. So it's, it's fire, earth, water, and air. So these elements are very, very important for your grounding. When you, you know these elements, you always be grounded. In fact, the Buddha told his son, Lahura, to meditate like the earth. And the earth is so grounded. Whatever you dump in, the earth doesn't complain. <laughs> then the air, you can paint the air like this, that you cannot really hurt the air. You, know, you can even paint. So does the fire and uh, water and all that. But in for our purpose here, if you really want to really ground, be grounded, try to break the elements into what we call properties. So you don't have to be an, a chemist to know this. People who have done chemistry, we had to study elements, this sod sodium and chlorine and all this. 
This is just simple experience. Actually, they can really drop into that experience by knowing the properties of earth element. Water is the property of earth element. Who knows the property? The properties of earth element. Earth, hardness and softness. It's hardness and softness. These are just mythological names. Earth elements. It's not the earth you see there. It's actually. Uh, Hardness and softness is the property of earth element. So when you touch the floor like this, you feel very, very hard. And you release, you feel softness. So this is very important because I don't want you to stand like horses. <laughs> I don't want you to walk like dogs. Because dogs, they don't know about this earth element. They do walking, they stand and they sit. But I don't want you to do the same thing. I just want you to take it further. When you stand, the first insight to know is that you're standing. That's knowledge already. But you have to take it beyond that and break it to the elemental level that even a scientist cannot do that. Scientists, they can have a PhD, <laughs> but they don't break their experience like that. They do it in a lab, but not with their body. <laughs> so I invite you to really use your body as a soil of wisdom to really uh, know what's happening is when you're standing, breaking your experience into elements. So the, element, the earth element is hardness and softness. And then for fire element is hotness and coldness. You see this cup? I touch this cup. I feel it hot because actually the temperature of this water is higher than the body. And if this is cold, I'm going to feel it cold because the temperature of my body is higher than the, the temperature of water. So really, this experience of hotness, I can't see it with my eyes, but I can experience it. I can experience this one and I don't have to go to college to know this. This is my direct experience. So the property of fire elements, it's not the fires raging out there, it's actually hotness and coldness. And you can feel that in the breath as you're breathing. I like you to discern as you're breathing. You can be aware of that, so, uh, that, uh, that hotness. Sometimes the air is hot as it strikes. Uh, last time I, I, I told you to do this experiment where you put your finger here. I like you to put it again. Put it here and then breathe. Take a deep breath and breathe out. Close your eyes, take a deep breath, breathe out, and then let go. Remove your finger. So this is what you want to do with your breath. So whenever you are mindful of the breath, see if you can discern that warmth is very, very subtle. Then you are meditating on four elements. I told you yesterday that human beings, we are not balloons just drawing in air out and air in. It's a good practice of what we call samatha meditation where you focus on air exclusively with other things. But when we do inside meditation, we want to drop into what we call elements so that we are on that experience. Another element is called air element. It's not the air there. Of course, also on one level is that air, but really on a more practical level that you can ground yourself and get wiser and get wisdom is actually the property of movement. 
expansion and contraction. I'd like you to put your hand on your belly like this, put it here, and then take a deep breath. Out. Do it three times, take a deep breath. Out. Deep breath, another one. So, now release it. So now if we meditate and you can't see your breath on the nostrils, you can be aware of it. You can always use your rising and the fourth abdomen to be aware of the element of expansion and contraction. Because it's very gross and I recommend it to beginners if you can't watch your breath. Because the breath, as you follow the breath, it becomes very subtle and subtle. Then you, it, it becomes imperceptible. And then you get lost in your thoughts because there's nothing you're watching. You're just sitting there, wasting your cushion time. So basically, instead of really sitting there and just thinking, oh, when is Bante going to call, ring a bell? I can't see the breath. Everybody's meditating very well. And you start looking around here and there. And say, oh, I would be on a beach now. Why did I come here? I would have a good suntan and all this kind of thing, and then look at people's hairdo and all their kind of slogan and a t-shirt. All these things, because you can't see the breath, you just stop meditating. No need to stop meditating when you cannot feel the breath. Actually, you can just drop in the body or come to where you can feel the breath, which is more gross. In other words, then you use the four elements to really tune into expansion and contraction. This is not because I, the monks say this or the nun or Buddha, whatever, but this is your direct experience. When you breathe, the abdomen expands. And when you breathe out, it contracts. And there are so many sensations, millions and millions of sensations involved when the abdomen expands and when it falls. So you can observe that. Water elements, you can swallow. I like you to swallow. You can swallow saliva, you can swallow. Then there's that kind of feeling of fluidity, fluidity and cohesiveness. So, but water elements, actually, water elements are very difficult to discern, but you can imply it, no problem. But at least those three elements are very, very important for your meditation and grounding in the body. Whatever you do with the body, those elements are already there. Already there. When you wake up, go to the sink, try to open the water, you touch the tap, you feel the heat, I mean the, the hardness. Then you put your finger there, then you feel coldness. Then you actually feel the warmth as the water comes. Then the water's warm, and then you wash your face. All that time can be used for meditation. So that's why when we stand doing standing meditation, we are not just taking a break from meditation. This is not a holiday. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've been sitting, it's very hard. Let me stand to overcome the pain. No. Is actually the first is a continuity of mindfulness, and more so when you stand, there are many sensations that arises when you are standing because this body is almost 100 pounds, 120, and to really hold that body standing, the feet has to bear all these sensations. So there's a lot of sensation in your feet. So you, you can feel the pulsing, the pressure which belongs to air element, the hardness belongs to earth element. No need to stand there and say earth element, water element, fire element. This is not what you need to do. <laughs> what you really need to do is actually drop into the direct experience. 
And you don't have to say, oh, now I can't see hotness. I can't see hardness. No. What you don't see, don't bother about it. Just really be with the experience which is there, right there. That's why yesterday we did that experiment of holding our hands like this. And I told you, with Samatha meditation, it's more of a concept, something like movement and, and, um, um, and the manner of the hands. But really the direct experience is what you feel when you press your hand like this. Like throbbing, pressure, tightness, and all that thing. So now I invite you to extend the same thing when we do walking meditation. Not just walk like a dog. Just walking aimlessly. Here we are trying to walk to gain wisdom. And then we can be aware of the rising and passing away of all these sensations. Alright? So let's go for a walk. Let us take our body for a walk (laughs) for another 30 minutes. Oh, we have five minutes, uh, let's say, because when I come back at three, there's going to be a talk, a little bit of walking meditation, and then Q&A. Q&A. So uh, who has uh, uh, a question about what I've said? i just give it five minutes. Do you have any question what I've said so far? No? Any question? Do you have any question about standing meditation? No? So if you have no question... Just go for walking meditation. Try to get a space where you can make, let's say, four. Here we are fewer. You can just uh, yeah, find a space where you can meditate four paces, five like that, and then enjoy. <laughs>
namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa so my dear brothers and sisters today is the last day and uh, we are continuing with the theme of uh, equanimity in our daily life. So we don't want only to cultivate equanimity in the meditation center. We want to take it and integrate it in our daily life. Because in daily life, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Working, traveling, and... Uh, the world has always been like this, actually. The only thing now is a little bit faster, but the world has always been having this kind of winds blowing. The Buddha gave a, a very good uh, metaphor of wind, and it actually it reminds me of really what happens when the winds come. Let's say if it's windy, what do you do? You stay there and start catching the wind? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's windy. I don't want the wind. I was one time in Chile, and uh, down there in the south, the wind blew, and for the first time, I saw cars moving from the street, and the kids were just hiding their mother's legs like this. And me, I was in a poncho. That time, I was, I was a layman. I was in this poncho. The poncho turned into sails. I'm telling you, <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> So we had to look for a pole and we had to hold on. So it was in the street, I had to hold on to a pole like this. And that's where actually I felt the a kind of a home. And hold on tightly like this so the wind kept on blowing, blowing, blowing. It could happen the same, same way when I was in Italy, I decided to go for sightseeing. And uh, it was so windy, and this time I didn't have a poncho. I had robes. These robes turned into sails like this. I tried my best and tie them like this. It was just wind blowing. I could not stop this wind. It just kept on going. So in their life, we cannot stop these winds the Buddha gave. We cannot even contend with these winds, like pleasure and pain, praise and blame gain and loss, fame and ill repute. So those are the what we call eight winds. They are blowing all the time. All the time are blowing. You can protest, but <laughs> the winds are going to be there and uh, you need what we call a windbreaker. <laughs> and the windbreaker's mindfulness and equanimity. In 19... No, no, in 2006, I had these strong winds blowing that I really experienced. Of course, I've experienced all these winds, loss, and uh, uh, praise. And, but in, in 2006, uh, I was invited to go to Japan uh, to be nominated as a representative of Buddhism in Uganda. So I had to get a visa 
that time I had a Ugandan passport, so I had to go to the Japanese embassy to get a visa. So on that trip, they gave me two attendants to go with. So I asked my cousin to uh, go with me to the embassy. So when I reached the embassy, they told me, I was the one who was in front. They told me, please, stand that way. So they told my attendant to go in front. Me, I was in robes, and my attendant was smart. For me, I, didn't, I wasn't smart <laughs> in front of the Japanese embassy in Uganda. And this was a Ugandan, actually, who was actually at the gate. So they searched everybody, everybody, and then said, please come. So they really searched me as if I was a terrorist. And uh, I went in, and uh, I was surprised, actually, they had a picture of a monk <laughs> in the embassy itself. But this guy, the way he searched me, I had to have equanimity. I knew that he, has ne he, he doesn't know what the monk is, actually. Because uh, why do you spend all the energy searching a monk <laughs> who keeps 227 precepts? <laughs> what are you searching, actually? <laughs> do you expect to find a knife? <laughs> it's a waste of energy, actually. So he searched, but I had a lot of equanimity. Every time he said, okay, open this, open your bag. Actually, the person who let him go in is the one actually who might even have a knife. <laughs> I just said, wow, that's amazing. Okay, I just had equanimity, opened this, and, and, and then I did my work, uh, everything I was instructed to do. I opened all the bags and let me in. But he looked again at me like this at the back, wondering which man <laughs> going to the Japanese embassy because he has never seen somebody dressed like this at the Japanese embassy. So, so I got uh, some reply about how to get a visa. Uh, but then I, I had to fly to America because that's where I was going to start my journey. So I decided to go to the uh, Japanese embassy in America. There, there was no problem. I got my visa. Then I flew to Japan. When I flew to Japan, I found almost 10 people waiting for me, all the cameras and the security. I had my own car, and nobody even thought how I was treated in Uganda. So in just a short, mom, a short period of time, here I am, I'm treated so badly in my own country, in Japan's embassy, and here I am, I'm in Japan with a lot of honor, people really, uh, cameras and opening the door for me to see it, and I said, what a life we are living in. <laughs> we are living in a strange life, <laughs> and I didn't request all this. I didn't request Japanese people to prepare 10 people waiting at, at, at me at the Kansai International Airport with all the cameras. I was like a celebrity. <laughs> all the time. And this has never happened to my life, but I was so taken back. I said, wow, what's happening here? <laughs> Comparing my experience in Uganda, I'm telling you, I needed equanimity both. Both in Uganda, because the, that was the first time to go through a lot of search like that. And then when I was in Japan, that was the first time to be received with such a great honor. So I had to balance out. I had to get a balance sheet. <laughs> Because in Uganda, if I didn't have equanimity, I would hate that experience. And in Japan, if I didn't have equanimity, I would get so much attached to it. And that will create a problem whenever I'm searched so much. 
So since I had equanimity, so then uh, when I was coming from Japan, I landed in, in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, they saw me bundled in bed sheets like this, and then the people start searching me. And then uh, they, they ask, why are you searching him? These are the security people. Why are you searching him? Oh, he's a bulk item. Bulk item. That means I'm so much, I have so many clothes on me, <laughs> so they don't know what's inside. <laughs> you think I'm a bulk item? <laughs> so actually this guy went back and forth. Let, let him go through, you know. Yeah, then the people say, oh yeah, where are you from? I'm from Africa. Oh, please, we need you here. Come here. So this is really amazing. <laughs> so on one extreme, you have this experience, another extreme, and in a, just a short time, you have another extreme. So welcome to the world of winds. They are blowing all the time. One time your boss praises you, another time the boss blames you. Then if you are not having equanimity, you are going to be blown away. So the key, can you hold on tightly to mindfulness, to equanimity, so that even when those winds come, at least you have a home. You are like a mountain, grounded. That's why I've been inviting you this weekend to stay in the body and be grounded and feel these elements because uh, ever since we are born, we see the body as hands and eyes and all these things. Uh, but if somebody say, oh, you have very good eyes, you have a good smile, it's just elements. <laughs> it's just four elements. Yes, so... And also, uh, it's very, very important uh, to really uh, be mindful whenever somebody makes comments. Because somebody can say, oh, you have, I like your, your hairdo. Another person say, I don't like it. And then you're going to break apart. <laughs> People are going to spoil your day if you depend on externals. So if you want to spoil your life, <laughs> or make your life dependent on externals, on the wind, you are going to suffer a lot. You are not going to experience happiness, inner peace, let alone liberation. <laughs> so you have to really depend your life on an internal strength of what's going on internally here by being mindful of whatever's arising in your experience and see how, if that creates happiness for you. And when you have these external things happening, it's okay. I'm not saying that, okay, if somebody say, oh, I, I, I like the way uh, you dressed, don't say, no, 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 don't say like this. This is what I'm not saying. I'm saying, can you accept it without getting hooked? Because we get hooked, and the whole day we feel high. The whole entire day we feel very high. And then somebody says something, and it's just like a pin in a balloon. In other words, when somebody praises us and we inflate ourselves and we are like balloons and we don't see that with mindfulness and equanimity, we are preparing ourselves for a lot of suffering because somebody will just get that pin and in a balloon and then you will have what we call flat tire syndrome. You know when you have a flat tire? <laughs> Collapse like this. But both, really, they may be true, they may not be true. If you have equanimity, you just accept what's arising in your experience. Now, 
equanimity, the Pali word upeka, it means even mindedness. It's also in Buddhist psychology, psychology, where actually you have what you call a balanced mind. A mind does not go to extremes. Friends, everywhere in a noble eightfold path, you find equanimity. Some people may say, oh, where did, does equanimity appear in the central teachings? You find it in right understanding. In fact, even the understanding of karma, you must have equanimity. It's one extreme to think that everything is caused by karma. Oh, yeah, yeah, all beings are one of their karma. It's one extreme to think that everything is caused by karma, and also it's one extreme to think that nothing is caused by karma. So we have to stay in the middle. Okay, certain things are caused by karma. Other things are not caused by karma. For instance, let's say there's tsunami in Sri Lanka. Tsunami. Earthquake. Do you think that people who experience earthquake, that's their karma? No. There are other factors that come into play for events to happen. That is called the law uh, of, we call it in Pali language, Utuniyama. That means climatic laws. Really, that's why there's different climates and different uh, um, physical actions happening in the earth, the rocks and all that. And then they're out of balance, then you have earthquakes and tsunami and all that. But most people, even Buddhists in Sri Lanka, they have this wrong view of thinking that tsunami is caused by karma. Another thing which is not caused by karma is when you plant uh, maybe apples and you get apples. That's called bijaniyama in Pali language. Law, you know, uh, which we call organic laws. Organic laws. So, not everything is actually caused by karma, but some things are caused by karma. So that's part of right understanding. Once we have right understanding, everything is going to be easy to have equanimity. Because equanimity, in order to arouse equanimity, you must have the right understanding of love karma. My friends, if you can jump out of this event and you understand the love karma, how it operates, at least from a theoretical point of view, you would have understand a lot. <laughs> and you can apply a lot in order to uh, be equanimous in your day life. Because if let's say somebody praise you, oh, I like you very much. If somebody blame you, oh, you are bad, you come late always, you don't finish your project in time. If you understand the love karma clearly, and you have done your best, with your best intention. You know, with all our best intention, we come to work. And also we put in our efforts to do the project. That's your intention. But because your boss is not mindful, can blame you. But if you understand the law of karma, okay, that I had the intention to do this work. If somebody blame you, then it will be like winds passing here. No need to catch them. No need to really struggle with the wind, but actually you are going to see this as just words. Okay, I've done my best. That's the karma. I've really intentionally, I've done this work. If it's not on time, 
It's because of other reasons, not because of my intention. So once you understand the law of karma, I think blame is going to not affect you so much. Even praise is not going to affect you so much. During Buddha's time, there was a, a, a person who came to a monastery. And then, I don't know if you've ever, you've ever been in a monastery. Some monks are meditating or nuns. Others are not meditating. Uh, others are just there. So it happened that this person went to a monastery and found a monk who was on a retreat in silence. And then he tried to speak to this monk. This monk kept quiet. This person was frustrated. I, uh, he came to a monastery to, to see, to check it out. These are monks living a good life, and they're not talking to him. So he was so disappointed. And another time, he went to, uh, to the monastery, and then he met one monk called Venerable Sariputta. He kept on talking, talking about psychology and all this. You know, Venerable Sariputta was very good in psychology. He analyzed and analyzed and analyzed. Then he, this man started bl blaming. This man is called Atula. Atula started blaming the person who was talking too much. He blamed somebody who didn't talk. He blamed somebody who was talking too much. Yeah? <laughs> talking uh, the, the, don uh, oh, the legs of the donkey. <laughs> really talking a lot, lot. Now, another time, he went and found Venerbananda. Venerbananda was very skillful. He was not talking too much and he was, knocking, was not silent. He just spoke the right thing, but a little bit sketchy maybe. And then he blamed Venerbananda. You are the personal assistant of the Buddha. How can you talk like this? Then they went to report the Buddha. Why these three people, one didn't talk to me, another one talked too much, another one talked in between? How can they treat the teaching like this? Then the Venerable Buddha said, in this world, nobody's beyond blame. Nobody's beyond blame. Even Buddha was blamed. So this is a good lesson for us. If somebody blames you, you should know that nobody's beyond blame. More so, you have to understand that when you understand the law of karma, it doesn't matter when people blame you. Really, it boils down to that fact. Nobody really... Uh, uh, if somebody blame you, uh, it's your karma, really, uh, that matters a lot, not their words. In fact, if somebody blame me and I know I did my best, every time they talk to me, I just become a way of hearing, 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 hearing. They blah, 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 hearing, hearing. <laughs> Instead of catching the words and then acting on it, and then you spoil your day, in fact, if you look at it really, sincerely speaking, if you look at what's going on, is hearing. Human beings have developed something. Uh, I read it in a book called The Buddha's Brain. Yeah, Buddha's Brain. It's my favorite book. Even if there's no space in my suitcase, I sneak in that book in. Because for me, it's really amazing how it brings out all this neuroscience uh, things, you know. So, uh, in that book, they say that uh, 50,000 years ago, we developed some habits. That these habits were very important for our survival. The first habit is looking for food. 
So we had to look for carrots searching. So we have to approach things. Every time, whenever uh, we have to develop that skill of approaching, looking for food and all this. That was something that helped us to pass on the genes by really reaching out, indulging, and all the things. So this is very important, evolution-wise. Then there's another skill we developed, is avoiding. Avoiding wild animals, because we used to live out there in the wild. So we had to develop a skill of avoiding. While this was very good for our evolution, when it came to the present time, we extend the same skills. We don't have to hunt for carrots. We don't have to really look for carrots and hunting. All what we have to do is to go to a supermarket and buy our food. And we don't have to avoid the kind of dodge lions and all that. Do you dodge lions on your way here to Queens and all that? No. But I'm telling you, we have carried forward these skills. How we did that? When somebody praises us, ah, we approach. In fact, when somebody praises you, you even give them something. He's my friend, yeah? Really, we are human beings. It's amazing how somebody gives you praise. I mean, you, you, you really actually raised. No wonder they say that praise. Eh? You, you feel raised to the pedestrian. Yeah? pedestrian. You feel warm and all that, and blood starts pumping. And then once they blame us, we try to avoid. We try to avoid that. We go at all costs to avoid somebody who has blamed us. We probably were going to hate them, those people the rest of their life. You write them off. When you're passing them, you just look this way. You don't want to look at them. But this skill, we actually got it from many years ago. But we actually carry it in our day life. But in day life, this doesn't help us at all. That pushing away the, uh, the unpleasant and also reaching out for the pleasant. And there's also another skill, is ignoring. Ignoring the neutral. Things that we don't know, we ignore. I don't know about the, uh, uh, this, but I know in my experience, when people are very pleasant, they give me chocolate, <laughs> they become my friends. <laughs> when people forget to give me hot water, <laughs> I don't say I hate them. <laughs> uh, in your life, I want to observe people who actually don't do what you, you like, you'll hate them. The people who irritate you a little bit, you'll start having aversion towards them. And people whom you don't know you pass, they come to pick garbage and bring mail, so they are strangers. So in our world, we have strangers, we have friends, we have enemies. But do you know why we have all those people? It's because of our tactics, trying to approach the present, try to push away the unpleasant, and try to ignore what we don't know. So I invite you, if you want to be very, uh, to have equanimity in their life, see areas where you are trying to push away the unwanted things that you don't want. Can you be interested then to reverse that pushing away? Then see things that you, you are indulging in something trying to reach away, trying to reaching, reaching something. So can you step back and simply be aware of the pleasant 
without really reaching out. And also think that you try to ignore, try to really have some understanding. And it's very, very important. Yesterday we navigated very well uh, about how to deal with difficult emotions using mindfulness, uh, acceptance, and investigation, and try to let go our wrong views around the experience. You have to use this if you want to carry this teaching in your day life. Because if, let's say, uh, pain arises, let us take the window of pain when it arises, and you try to push it away, what happens when you, you are pain and you try to push it away? Huh? It gets worse. What, what happens when you change your posture? Let's say I have pain and just change my posture and go there. Huh? <laughs> so, actually, when you have this kind of tactics that we get 50,000 years ago, and you bring it to pain, you are going to cultivate the three unawesome states of mind that are going to throw you off the balance. You think that you are in a new posture, but actually you are off balance. Because once pain comes and you don't do the male thing I've told you yesterday, being mindful of it, the proper attitude, not pushing it away and indulging in it, and investigation in terms of changes, and non-identification with the pain. If you don't do those things, and you just, when pain comes, you just change your posture like this, and then you look for the chair, you go up there, you are cultivating three mind states. One is aversion. Aversion to the old posture. And then desire to go to a new posture. And then delusion when you go there, you are deluded that that new posture is going to bring everlasting happiness. But that's delusion proper because when you are there in a, in a new posture, pain is there but it's not obvious. So the way to be equanimous with the pain is to, to apply the same thing we applied yesterday by being mindful of pain, 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 and that's not enough. If you just say pain, pain, you, it might increase, it's better to break it into f the elements. Is it pressure? Is it tightness? Is it throbbing? Is it hammering? So when you do that, you are knowing the nature of pain. Where the, is it moving in circles? Is it up and down? Is it intense? Is it low, low, inten low, low intensity? Is it of higher intensity? So we actually try to know the nature of pain. At that time, we are not actually pushing away automatically. We are not uh, playing the old games of pushing away and indulging it or ignoring it. Then, we, if we need to change, because as I told you, meditation is about cultivating happiness and peace and ultimately awakening. So we are not here to suffer and sit in the pain because Bante Buddha Rakita talked about really about being equanimity, having equanimity. So you don't have to sit in pain you can actually try to do something about it by understanding it. But if it's too much, maybe you release the tension. You, but you don't want to sit all the time doing like this. Like this, you'll be a kind of a wimp, actually. Always do like this, <laughs> try to release the tension. So what you do is release one time, maybe you release another time, and then if you have to change the posture, try to be mindful of the intention to change. Intention to change, 
intention to change, and then you change with mindfulness. You stretch your leg like this, and then you become mindful, and then you change to another posture. So in doing that, you're not cultivating aversion, ignorance, and desire for a new posture. So these things are very important. Now, the proximity cause, the proximate cause of equanimity. How equanimity is going to arise is having right understanding of the law of karma. I don't know how long it's going to take you, but the more you're understanding the law of karma, the more you are going to have equanimity in everything that happens in your day life, whether it's a loss, whether it's a gain, whether it's blame, fame, and all these kind of things. Now, the reflection that you have to do is fivefold, fivefold reflections that you have to do. And even we are recommended to do this on a daily basis. Every day you have to repeat this if you want to have equanimity. This is the reflection. I'm the owner of my karma, hate my karma, born of my karma, live related to my karma, supported my karma, whatever good or bad I do, that one I'll be the hair of my karma. Five reflections that you have to do in daily basis. This is going to have I mean, help you to have equanimity even in the face of death, even in the face of all suffering. Once we do those five reflections. One, I'm the owner of my karma. Hate my karma. Born of my karma. Supported my by my karma. Related by my karma. That's fivefold reflection. Whatever good or bad I do, that one I'll be hate my karma. No, now people own things, right? People own things. They own cars, they own family, they own uh, uh, everything. Ah, we are going to discuss together what happens when, let's say, you are sick. Let's say if you own money in a bank. Hmm? When you go to the hospital, you can go with your money. I just want to imagine, I'm just bringing a scenario. When you go to the hospital, you go with your money, isn't it? But don't imagine this because you're not yet dead. But people are dead. Eh? Money can go to the hospital, friends can go to the hospital, relatives can, can go to the hospital. But when you die, money cannot go to the grave. <laughs> friends can go to the grave. Relatives can go to the grave. Now, uh, what happens beyond the grave, there's something that goes beyond that. Even if you have a very good friend, I'm telling you, they don't go with <laughs> you beyond the grave. What really goes, and don't put that in your throat, I'm not forcing this in, in your throat. According to this tradition, is what really goes, it's an invisible force which we call karma. Because whether you are intending to go to heaven for a transit, when you have a transit, as I talked about, there's a transit. <laughs> That's what goes on. Don't ask me where it's hidden, whether it's a nose. 
it's a potential. Karma is a potential that you cannot really uh, destroy it whether you bury or cremate. It's the potential to bring good results. It's the potential to bring you know, some desire, I mean, results. In, in other words, if you do good things, is that, that's the only thing that you can carry forward to heaven or to other existence, whatever you call it. That's why it's so important. And that's the only thing that we can bank on <laughs> in our life. That's why we, they say this reflection that beings are their own of their karma. In other words, what I do is what I can bank on. What you do is what you can bank on. Then meditation is the best way to accumulate a good karma. Because meditation helps you to overcome aversion and uh, clinging and ignorance. Meditation helps us to cultivate good karma like generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. That's why many people are hooked to meditation because it brings happiness to them. If you are happy now when you are meditating, of course, you'll be happy when you go in the transit. Like if I leave tomorrow here when I'm hungry, I'll reach Spain when I'm hungry. I don't have enough stock of food. That's why today people gave me good lunch. So, and I told them I want something that is feeding so that I can have reserves, <laughs> a reserve. So when I go to, to have a transit in, Sp- in Spain, I'll still feel okay. And when I reach German, still I'll be okay, pretty much. So this is our store. We can actually accumulate these things, which we call karma, intention. It's not kept in the head, but it's a, a, a potential energy. So, you got those five-fold reflection? Five-fold reflection. Mm-hmm. I, I okay. Okay. Own of my karma. Born of my karma. You are born. That's how you are born. Related to your karma. Supported by your karma. Here. That means you any health. That means when you go there, after death, that's your inheritance. Just as here you inherit a house, an apartment, and all this. So what you really inherit really is your karma. Good things you have done. Because even if you inherit a fortune, here, let's say, car or whatever, but still when you die, you, you leave it for others. But really, what you inherit is according to what you did, whether you go to heaven or wherever it is. So you are going to inherit it. And how are you born? Actually, you, people think we are born by father and mother. Those are only two conditions. Scientifically, I don't know. Really, what really we are born? We are born. Our father has to be there. Father, father to be. Mother to be there has to be ready. And then there might be, there should be a coming force that come. And that's we are born. That's why you see people when they are three years, five years, like I think it was Mozart. Was it Mozart? Who could play the, this kind of violin and all these things? Because of that. I've seen a guy called Damarwan. He was actually here for many years and when he was born and started mumbling words, blah, 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 blah. The mother did like this. Don't make me embarrassed. 
And then until somebody who knew Pali language came and he had these boys chanting Pali. Pali language have already been chanting Etadisani Katwani Sabatama Parajita. This is called Pali language. It's a very difficult language. And I'm studying it. Very difficult, it's like Latin. This is three years. Where did this guy go to school? <laughs> so, my friend, there is something that really comes on top of your mother and father. There is something that comes into play in Pali language. We call it Gandaba. Gandaba, which comes and then you're born. Related. Really, what? We have relatives. We have relatives and all that. Really, what your relatives is, is your karma. Really, what the good thing you do is what really supports you. In fact, for me, I was surprised. When I was coming here, I was pretty much stuck in the airport, LaGuardia. And I don't know what to do. I don't see somebody supposed to pick me up. And here I am in this clothes in the LaGuardia airport. I think it's not very common to say monk like this. But I looked at somebody who was talking on a phone. I wanted to ask her, can I have your phone, please? And I called Joseph. Uh, John, rather. I think John? Yeah. Joseph? Yeah. Yeah, I keep on confusing. Yeah. Then this guy, this lady, I sense that is not going to accept to call. For some reason, I felt... But I cultivated loving kindness. I said, okay, let me look at this guy. I looked at him. I said, can I use your phone, please? Because I was stuck for an hour there, I said, no, I should do something. <laughs> I went to check on my email. I could not check my emails. I said, I'm not going to stay here for three hours. So then when I went, I, somebody, I asked for the phone. I called. They said, okay, God love you. This is what the, the man told me, and he was from Yemen. God love you. I said, thank you. He has given you the phone. <laughs> so, really, when you are happy, you are going to find happy people. When you are grumpy and all that, then you are not going to meet happy people. So, what you put out in the world is what you get in other words. If you smile to the world, the world is going to smile to you. If you, you frown at the world, the world is going to frown at you. It's very simple. Garbage in, garbage out. That's how the computer works. Yeah, so we have to be good, actually, in other words. Supported. That's our support. Now, I'm going to give you some few tips on how to uh, really uh, cultivate equanimity as a mind state, as in their life. As a mind state, we have dis discovered, all, I mean, discussed all the seven factors of enlightenment, For the sake of new people who are here, there are seven factors of enlightenment. One is mindfulness. Another one is investigation. Dhamma vichaya. Vichaya. Another one is called energy. Another one is called joy. Uh, another one is called uh, uh, tranquility. Another one, concentration. Another one is equanimity. There are seven of them. So when your mind, when you are meditating, now let us put it first in the meditation, and then we can do it in their life. So when your mind is so much agitated, when your mind is so much agitated in meditation, 
you don't want to keep on investigating the elements. All right? You remember I told you to investigate the elements, the pressure, tightness, and all that? You want actually to cultivate tranquility, maybe sending metal loving kindness, reflecting on the qualities of the Dharma, something like that, something that will help you to be tranquil, Sometime, something that is going to help you to concentrate, like just watching the breath without feeling the warmth, but just the breath. All right? So we have to cultivate, when we're agitated, we have to cultivate the other side of the seven factors of enlightenment, like tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So whenever we are meditating, sometimes we feel agitated. I don't know how you felt. Did you feel some kind of agitation? Yeah. So at that time, you might want to cultivate tranquility, concentration, and have equanimity. But sometimes we are sleeping. Maybe you are sleeping, we are dozing like this. At that time, you want to cultivate the investigation factors of enlightenment, investigating the elements, is it rising? Is it passing away? Remember when I was doing, we are doing standing meditation? That's called investigation fact of enlightenment. That's what we are doing actually. Did you know that? Maybe you think that Bhante Buddha was trying to say something foreign. But actually we are trying to use the investigating fact of enlightenment to investigate because all these factors of enlightenment have to come together. So when we investigate, what comes of our investigation is gladness. You know scientists? When they're in a laboratory, do you know they can spend seven hours in a lab? Because once they investigate, they investigate, they become interested. They get this joy. And when they have joy, more energy. They keep going, keep going. And then that's where we get joy, factors of enlightenment. So we have to balance. Even during meditation, we have to find out, are we down? When we are down, bring in other factors of enlightenment that can help you to boost up. Eh? Like investigation, effort, joyful effort. Somebody was here. Where is he? Joyful effort. Yes, joyful effort. He has disappeared. So you have to actually bring effort, energy. Now, in their life, what is going to help you to have equanimity, don't get attached to living beings. Getting attached to living beings, that's a good recipe for suffering. I'm not saying don't love anybody because most people think, okay, we're not supposed to get attached to beings. How, how can we love them? <laughs> we have studied our psychology that a baby must have attachment to the mother. Actually, that's how they cannot survive. Attachment to their mother without attachment. Yeah, they cannot grab. But, of course, that is for reproduction and survival and all that. In terms of enlightenment, in our path to awakening, when we love with attachment, it gets in a way. In terms of producing and passing on our gains, it helps us. So it has its own role to play. But in terms of enlightenment and awakening, sometimes when they are attached, there's some suffering because when those beings leave, we suffer. That's where sadness comes and sorrow because of attachment. Even the Buddha said that from craving arises fear. From craving, passion arises grief. From, from attachment arises uh, all this uh, 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 what's called lamentation and sorrow. So then the Buddha say, where there's no craving or attachment, where is, it, where is this fear? There's no fear when you have no attachment. 
So fear comes from excessive attachment, but I'm telling you there's a difference between love with attachment and love with meta. So you have to love with loving kindness. That means you have this quality of the heart that is equanimous. So you just have equanimity with beings, whether they are enemies, whether they are friends, whether they are neutral beings, you love them equally like that. That will take time, but actually make sure that you love people at least equally, seeing beings as all. Of course, you have, can have a strong dose with your spouse and your friend. I'm not saying that, okay, go now to your spouse, your friend. I have neutral feeling with you. I've been on a weekend retreat. <laughs> this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying ultimately we have to cultivate so that we don't have excessive aversion when people blame us and when people uh, praise us, we shouldn't have excessive attachment. And if people ignore us, we say, what's wrong with us? You know somebody when you stay there and doesn't say something when you have done a good thing, you feel unfulfilled, eh? even low esteem. You know? I mean I've sung this song, i played this guitar, and nobody said, oh, it's good music. So we feel unfulfilled, isn't it? But what really makes us unfulfilled? It's our desire to be praised, our desire to be recognized, and all these things. Can we drop that? Another thing, don't be attached to your things. Don't be attached to your objects, cars, house, and all this. Again, I'm not saying don't clean your car. You know, some people have this extreme. There's some volunteer came to our Uganda Buddhist Center. Then they were driving this wonderful car, BMW, and I said, hey, it's full of dust. Why don't you clean it? Oh, I have to practice non-attachment. <laughs> you be careful not to handle this teaching like when you handle the snake. When you handle the snake and you handle on the tail, what happens when you handle the snail on the tail? Bite you. That's why we have to handle the snake by the neck. Because though your hand is near the, 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 the fangs, but the snake will never bite you if you handle by the neck. Most people handle this Buddha's teaching with its tail. And then it bites them. Instead of using non-attachment to cultivate wisdom and understanding and take care of your things and have tender care and loving friendliness, kindness to your spouse and friend, people say, ah, I'm supposed to be non-attached. Hey, darling, honey, come for a cup of tea. No, I'm non-attached. <laughs> oh, darling, where have you been this evening? <laughs> I've been meditating. What did you learn? Non-attachment. Can we, can I give you uh, scrambled eggs? Or can I give you boiled eggs? No, I'm not, I have no preference. I have no attachment to anything. Give me whatever you want. That's actually misunderstanding the teaching. So, non-attachment doesn't mean detachment. Detachment is not caring. It's actually being disconnected. Equanimity 
It means actually being engaged in the world. It doesn't mean actually cold avoidance. It doesn't mean no, no, no preferences, not to have preferences, but it means wise discernment. Friends, equanimity is not indifference. Indifference can disguise itself as equanimity, but actually when we have indifference, that means we are not connected. Most people have misunderstood what freedom is. Freedom. People think that freedom is to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. With In other words, freedom is to do everything you want. But actually, freedom is actually to be with whatever it is. And that's equanimity. So if you want to be free, here at freedom, have equanimity. So that actually you can hold both. You can hold pleasure, you can hold pain with greater equanimity. In fact, the beauty of this that we have a teaching which is called mindfulness because mindfulness can go anywhere. Mindfulness can, you can apply it to pain, you can apply it with great pressure. It doesn't mean that when you practice mindfulness, you become mindfulness of only the pain. That's what a big mistake that people do. They meditate here, they have pain, they apply a little bit of it, and then finally they break through. Ah, joy, delight, ah, today I'm going to get enlightenment. They stop mindfulness. You know, people actually go out of mindfulness when there's pleasant feelings. All what they do is actually, oh yeah, I've been struggling with the breath. I was mindful of the breath and I was mindful of pain and now it goes. When pleasant feeling comes and calmness, they're just actually not mindful. And when you're not mindfulness with pleasant feeling, you get attached to it. Once you get attached to it, you go to another extreme. And then you lose it. And then where is this delight and joy gone? It's because you are not mindfulness to keep going. But if you are mindful of pleasure, pleasant feeling and you continue with the mindfulness, your mindfulness with pleasant feeling and joy and delight, then actually you are going to stay in equilibrium. You are not going to, uh, you are going to have equanimity. You are not going to be pushed away on another extreme and start feeling pain. This is very important. In your life, we have said, you have an understanding of karma. Uh, don't get, get excessive attachment with beings and your things. Two more solutions to, uh, to, to practicing equanimity is actually associate with beings who are more equanimous. equanimous. Try to get friends who are more balanced. And don't associate with people who are off all the time of balance all the time. But of course, I don't go, uh, don't go back and then uh, go to Facebook and actually try to uh, kick out all your friends. <laughs> if you have to associate with the people who are off balance, do it out of compassion. Try to find out people who are more equanimous and spend more time with them. You can tell. 
people are equanimous. In fact, for me, I have a very beautiful analogy of an elephant in India. Have you ever seen an elephant? I'm telling you, elephant is an embodiment of equanimity. The elephant, when it walks elegantly like this, it doesn't matter where there's a Mercedes Benz, especially in India. It just throws one leg after one leg. It doesn't matter who's coming. So it just move, move, move. Whether the cars are running faster or they find another obstacle, just keep on walking at the same pace. So try to walk at the same pace. But look at the people in their life if they're paced or they're always nervous. People who are always in hurry, in hush. Hurried, all the time they're hurried. I'm telling you, there are people who are always in a hurry, chronically late. Really. And those people, every time they come late, always they're in a hurry. I'm telling you, very soon or later, you are going to absorb that. And you're going to try to find all excuses always. Always when you're late, you're always going to find excuses. And also you're going to start to be in a hurry and all that thing. So, always people have this kind of neurotic push in the future. So, try to really uh, find somebody in your life who is more balanced. And then associate them more. And then you ask them, how come you are always calm and peaceful? They will tell you the idea. One thing which I found out how to be a little bit equanimous is always to turn my clock five minutes ahead. Always my clock is five minutes ahead. I did it on the island for two years because I was getting late in Africa, you know. We don't care about the time so much. And then, <laughs> then I started working as a scuba diver instructor in, with these people from Austria who were so much uptight with time. I said, you, you mean... You are right, your life is ridden by time? For me, I was laid back. We're on the island. Enjoy, you know. You keep the clock there. You just see the time by the sun, you know. So, but I had the rude awakening. Every time I was getting late and I was frustrated and I found out I was frustrating a lot of Westerners. So what I did, I put my clock in front five minutes ahead. I would really be in time all the time and then I, have, I don't have to hurry and be nervous. So try to do some tactics that makes you really not always time-ridden really by being on time all the time. In fact, there is a clock. There's a clock in the island. It's 15 minutes in front. So that's the most inaccurate clock in the whole of the world because they put this clock 15 minutes ahead of time that's what it has been like that since they put that clock I think in 1940s the student made it like this so that they're on time with their food you know when you're going somewhere you always go talk, talk, talk and then the time to serve the food and then you're late so that's the most inaccurate clock so now you can do those kind of things don't associate with people who are always nervous, always uh, time reading, try to balance. Another thing, incline your mind towards equanimity. That will help you. Friends, nothing is going to help you to really, really ground yourself than 
using mindfulness, acceptance, investigation, and not identifying yourself with that experience. Whether it's pleasure, whether it's pain, there's no need to identify with that pain. There's no need to identify with the pleasure because that's the old games we have. Always identify ourselves with pleasure. No need to identify yourself with the place or blame. There's one monk in Thailand. He said that whenever somebody praise them, he just put a zero after one, I mean before one. You know what, number one? If you put a zero before it, it's step one. But if you put a zero after one, it becomes ten. So and then you praise another praise, it becomes hundred. And then he put uh, another praise, it becomes uh, 1,000. He said he played with this mathematics. He said that every time there's a place, you just put that before, not after. So, hey, Bante, thank you for, for, for a nice talk, Dhamma talk. Before one. Zero before one. Then it's a Dhamma talk. It's, it's a Dhamma talk. <laughs> I just see this as a Dhamma talk. And you blame me, oh, you know, Bante, you forgot to sub out to this in your Dhamma talk. Um, you blame me about that? You think I'm going to buy into that? No, I just put a zero before one. <laughs> but if you keep on putting zeros after one, you'll get a million blames <laughs> and a million praises. Have you had 10,000 sorrows and 10,000 joys? Is that putting too many zeros on joys and sorrows? What about stay with the joy? Just this joy. This is the sorrow. In fact, many arrows we shoot ourselves. Gain. Gain, you gain money, but really, if I have spiritual gain, that's the best thing I can do. When I have spiritual gain, like mindfulness, ethical conduct, loving kindness, these are things that you need to gain. All the things that you gain in this life, you are going to leave them. But you will go with your gains, spiritual gains. Losses, you can make losses, but if you lose wisdom, you are going to lose a lot. Friends, I think this is enough for today. We go for the head, uh, question and answer session. But I hope you can apply so much in your daily life. And uh, I've asked a question, what does it mean to be awake from moment to moment? To be awake is to not to have dreams. Because people have dreams. Oh, may I have pleasure? May I retire and go to Florida? If there is any joy and happiness to take place, it's right now. Maybe under your nose, <laughs> in your breath, or under your feet. There's a Chinese saying that says that even a thousand miles starts under your feet. My friend, awakening is not tomorrow. If awakening is to take place, it's today, under your feet, under your nose, when you have equanimity. Thank you very much for listening. Let us sit for a moment or two. Antu pamaya sabesam satanam supokamato pasitwa kamato metta sabbasate subhavaye Having seen that all beings, like oneself, 
have a desire for happiness, one develops loving kindness, compassion for beings. Eta disani katwana sabbatama parajita sabbata sottim gachanti tetas mangara uttama. A mind undisturbed by winds, the eight winds, is, is secure, is sorrowless, and is not grief stricken. This is the greatest blessing. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.